Welcome to Not a Tomboy, a podcast by Vanessa Nichols. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to my Pride Month 2020 series. Since we can't get together in person this Pride Month, I have an amazing lineup of activists, allies, and advocates for the LGBTQ community. Each guest has given me the name of their favorite Black charity, so please check the description and donate if you can. Please share these episodes on your social media platforms and leave us a review so these amazing voices can reach more people. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Not a Tomboy, a podcast by Vanessa Nichols. Today, I am so thankful to have one of the most amazing humans that I know. His name is Nate Quinn, and he is a hero to me because he did amazing things here locally in Southwest Florida in terms of pioneering transgender rights for the youth community specifically. At such a young age, he was an amazing activist and still is an amazing activist. So everyone, I'd like to welcome Nate Quinn. Nate, thank you so much for taking your time out of your day to be here with me today. Of course. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. This is a really exciting experience, and I hope that people really listen and learn from it and just go forward and love the trans people that they have in their lives. Me too. Me too. And and listen, like I want this to be such a broad conversation. I have so much to cover with you because you've done so much for the trans community and continue to do so much. So um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Where are you now? You know, what, what kind of work are you doing for the trans community or LGBT community or even outside of that? Yeah, so I just graduated from the University of Florida this spring with my bachelor's in psychology. Um, Amazing. Congratulations. That's huge. Thank you so much. Um, Next, I'm going to get a master's in counseling. And the program I'm going to actually has a certificate in LGBTQ counseling and sexology. So that's very exciting. Um, While I was at UF, I was very involved with Pride Student Union which is the University of Florida's largest LGBTQ student-run organization. So essentially, we put on events for students to learn about the LGBT community, meet other LGBTQ people on campus and allies and professors, and build a strong community that's really fighting for everyone on campus, but especially with a focus on LGBTQ students. Amazing. And did you find your experience at University of Florida to be pretty welcoming? And did you find the community, the LGBT community there to be pretty vast? Or what was that experience like at UF? Most people at UF, I found very welcoming. There were very few people who didn't already understand sexuality, at least a little bit, and understand gay rights and why those were important. I did, however, find a lot of people, just like in the general community of the United States, a lot of people that did not understand transgender identities and trans people 
or who thought that they had never met a trans person or that they would never meet a trans person. And some of those encounters went very well and I was able to educate people that I met on campus and some of them did not go so well and people would be rude towards me or um, accuse me of trying to push some sort of agenda onto everyone at UF and make everyone trans or something like that. Yeah. I I mean, even as a parent of a a young trans kid, I hear that all the time and it's exhausting for me. I can't imagine how it feels for you as a a trans person, but also as an activist and, and you're constantly giving that emotional labor to people. Um, and, and for that, that's one reason why I'm choosing to be visible in, in my privilege, because I feel like it has to be exhausting. And I I want to take all of that weight away from the trans community. I can't stand that you all are constantly front and center in that kind of position. So thank you for doing all of that emotional labor. And before we get into how you got to where you are within your activism and talk about locally and, and how I found out who you were and all that good stuff. Let's start kind of from the beginning. And because it's Pride Month, I wanted to highlight some stories about coming out that were inspirational to me. And I was lucky enough to meet you in person, and I felt like I was meeting a local hero. But I I want to talk about first on, on your coming out story, if you're comfortable with talking about that. I because you're public and because you've done so much activism work, I've been able to watch different um, segments that you've been a part in, uh, a part of in the local media. And in a 2016 article in a local Sarasota article for the Herald Tribune, it started off the article by saying that your sister knew before you did that you were transgender. So I thought that was a super interesting fact. And I wonder, um, you know, if you could just tell us a little bit about that and, and what your coming out process looked like for you. Yes, that is actually true. My sister and I are very close and I had come out as a lesbian, uh, early in high school, my sophomore year. And I felt then like she could see it coming before my parents saw it coming. And then when I was about to come out as a trans man, she had a conversation with me essentially saying, I know what's going on. I know you. We are this close. Don't be afraid. Like you got this. And no matter how our parents react, no matter how other people react, I'm here for you essentially. And That's amazing. I mean, that must have felt so comforting to have that kind of support. It was. And I really hope that I do the same thing for her and her life. Um, She she definitely has always been here to support me. And it was not easy to come out to the rest of the world. It was so easy with her. And I'm glad that she was one of the first people to recognize me as a man and see that because it really did make the rest easier even as difficult as it was to come out as a 16-year-old. I was a junior in high school. A lot of people around me were not immediately accepting. 
Um, mm-hmm. So tell me about that. How about your parents? After So after you came out to your sister or your sister, you know, kind of laid the groundwork for that, did you come out to your parents next or was it more friendships? What, what did that look like? Yeah, first I came out to my close friends in high school and my partner at the time. And all of them were very supportive immediately. And even some who didn't understand what it meant to be trans, they were like, okay, you're trans. That's cool. We love you. So we'll figure out the rest, even if we don't, even if we don't totally get it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I came out to my parents, my dad was kind of the same way, like, oh, I don't really get what this is. You're my kid and I love you. We'll, you know, slowly move forward. My mom had a much harder time. She was very religious. She didn't understand sexuality totally at the time, even though mm-hmm. I had as a lesbian. She said when I came out, um, it was bad enough that you were gay, but now you're gay and trans, which kind of showed me, oh, you don't get this at all. And you're freaking out. And I I later realized that all of this came from her fear of me getting hurt and not her fear of who I was, which I'm sure you had some of the same thoughts when absolutely because it's terrifying. You see trans people getting hurt all the time in the media. And so to be a parent and your kid come out and say, I'm in danger now that I'm out, mm-hmm. is scary. Mm-hmm. That's, so now it's, it, back, it is. Yeah. It's, it's very scary. So now when I look back on that, I understand where she was coming from and why after probably six months of education, she did a total 180. And it wasn't all at once. It, it, you could see her progress over those six months. Like, yeah using yeah. my pronouns better and using my name better and, and yeah. going to Heather's family support group really helped. Yeah, probably. The Absolutely. Biggest. Yeah. So Heather is, um, Heather Isley and she's a local licensed mental health counselor here in Sarasota. And she does a lot of good work. Probably the only one that I can think of that is uh, really awesome with the trans community in terms of her own counseling with them, but also with uh, as an extension, as a resource for us parents of trans kids. And she was the one that I had to look to for education for my son coming out. And so I think that it's so taxing on her because she's the only one in this giant county. And and there's, as we're elevating this conversation, there are so many um, parents of trans kids looking for resources. And, you know, that is one thing you touched on one thing that when parents come to me because I'm visible and they come to me and they say, you know, I know I'm screwing this up and, and what, what's the things that I need to know? I tell them, don't go too big. Like, pack that fear away and take this one day at a time in terms of, because that is our reaction. It's, it's a fear base of like, what does this mean for my child? And this is going to hurt my child in the future. And that is almost why we kind of need to package it away at first and make it seem like it's not real. But in the meantime, that has to be a hurtful part of the process for coming out. And so I, I, I appreciate like the journey that your mom 
more so than your dad had to go on. Um, but overall, it sounds like you have good family support. Did that trickle down into the rest of your family, aunts, uncles, cousins, things like that? Yeah, surprisingly, the rest of my family just got on board. They did their best to call me the right name and the right pronouns right from the beginning. I think a lot of that came from the fact that by the time I came out to the rest of my family, both of my parents were on board and they were supportive and Mm -hmm. they helped me with that Mm -hmm. process. And they essentially said, listen, this is our son. And if you're not in his life, you're not in our lives. And so good. My- so they took that hard line because that's the other message that I send to parents that are new to the journey is, uh, and for myself and for my son, I took that hard line of, listen, if you're not walking with us, then you're not with us at all. And that's encouraging to hear that that was your experience because honestly, so what year was that, Nate? Like, so this was, I know that your activism work seemed to be highlighted around 2016. So was that that same year? So I came out to my parents in January of 2015, and then I started testosterone in July of 2015. Okay. So, so this was even five years ago. So I feel like, and you can, you can, I'd love for you to speak on this. I feel like five years ago, even with such a different time that we've elevated the conversation times a million, just in short, a short five years. How does, how does it feel to you? What's your perspective on that? So much has changed really in five years and it's Mm -hmm. amazing to see the progress. We went from having maybe one public figure, probably Laverne Cox was the only one out when I was out. Yeah. To now have so many, you can make a list now and that's very exciting because that's step one where people getting it is identifying a couple of people in a TV show that they like that. Oh, this person's trans. Oh, like you can look at Grey's Anatomy. You can look at. Right. Aliens. They have a non-binary character. It's right. It's, it feels like I mean, a, the visibility. Yeah. It's grown so much and that's amazing, but you are a part of that. And that has to feel so amazing that you were a part of this initial work. But before I get to that, a couple more questions on your coming out story. So in terms of, so you had to come out twice, which I hear that frequently from, from trans people is that they had to come out twice and you know, that they have to come out all the time. And I I hear that as well. And I'm experiencing that with my own child and seeing him having to come out over and over again. Um, But you came out twice, once as a lesbian and then as a trans man, like you said, a lot of people ask, and I, I read something really great about this specific question. A lot of people ask, when did you know that you were transgender? But I read a, a thing that said, when did you learn to hide that you were transgender? And like to learn to ask both of those questions because our society tends to put these mute buttons on being trans and, and still being gay. I mean, if we're honest, but um, how did you feel about that? Like, did you feel... Did you always know? Because I know a lot of trans people have known for a long time and some haven't, some knew later in life. How do you feel about that? I can identify moments of my childhood where if I knew the word trans, I might have used it. Mm-hmm. I remember having a friend growing up who was considered a tomboy. And mm-hmm. my 
family always had something negative to say about it, like, oh, girls are supposed to be this way. And so I always identify that as the moment where I started hiding my my masculinity, even though I didn't mm-hmm. know what it would turn into in my future. And um, And do you remember what age that was? I was probably six or seven. Yeah. Which even yep. can be a little old for, for some trans people. They know at three or four. And that's amazing to me. But even when I was 15, coming out as a lesbian, I don't think I knew the word transgender. And I think if someone had asked me my thoughts on trans people, I wouldn't have known what to say. And right. a year, year and a half later, I came out. And I've actually now come out three times. I came out as a lesbian and then as a trans man and then as bisexual. So I think I'm done now. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) It's a broad, beautiful spectrum though. I mean, that's amazing. And, and I, I commend you for, for being so brave to obviously not just live your truth because it is still such bravery to me as a parent, but for also being loud, proud, and visible for kids like mine to look up to and to, you know, you've been a role model, whether you know this or not, for not just my child, but for so many. Um, and you know, I, you helped me have an understanding because honestly, I first heard about you, through Nathan Brumer, who is a local LGBT activist, specifically trans activist. And he used to be the executive director of Also Youth, which is our local LGBT center. And, you know, when Dylan, when my son came out, he knew from a young age, but that is only because he had the language for it because folks like you gave language to what he was experiencing. And that word tomboy, that is one reason why I labeled my podcast, not a tomboy, that word tomboy never sat well with me. And I know it never sat well with Dylan, but that was the label that we smacked on him at a young age. It was, you know, it was like this dismissiveness of, well, he's just a tomboy. And, and it really started to wear on my soul as a mom, because I'm like, why, why do we have to have this label for this child? Like why? And, um, you know, then, so he adopted that before he knew the word transgender and, but he was still hurting. And I could see that from, you had mentioned you were six and that was the same for Dylan. He was around six where he knew that that didn't fit right, that tomboy label, but it was just kind of like, okay, well, this is what the adults are telling me. So I guess this is what it is. And, um, you know, so I had to go on my own journey. So I think it's, there's so much weight in the language that you and your visibility have provided to trans rights and, and local activism work, because, um, you know, I just, I I commend all of you that were visible in this journey for parents like me to help me understand. Um, But a couple more questions on that same note. I am on a list of parents that are affirming parents of trans kids. And we have a group on a website called standwithtrans.org. It's an organization And um, there is a whole group of ally parents and we make ourselves available to trans youth who might not have support at home and we're available to talk, text, FaceTime, whatever. And lately, because of quarantine, I think I've had 
more use than normal reaching out to me for support. And I get stuck because to not have support at home means so much to trans people. And I get, I get really stuck. So I'd like your input. What do you tell trans youth that don't have support, that they've come out to their parents and their parents refuse to give support? What would you say to them? I always say to them that you're your own person first and the day you turn 18, you can walk into quite a few clinics in the state of Florida and get hormones if you would like. You can call a doctor yourself and schedule a surgery. And when you look back after you get whatever you want out of your transition, it's just going to feel fake. You're going to look back at your childhood self and feel so detached and the happiest kind of detached from that. Like, yes, that was amazing. But mm-hmm. you just can't even feel that overwhelming sadness anymore. It's you can look yeah. back at it, just be appreciative of how far you've come. And I love that. Whether or not you have your biological parents by your side, you can make it and and be okay and have a life and be successful and be happy in yourself. Mm-hmm. And everything else you can arrange later. You can yeah. choose your own family. Whether you choose some chosen parents or some chosen brothers, sisters, siblings, you'll be happy then. And if your parents never come around, that's really their loss and you will be able to see it by then. Yeah. And I, I, that's a beautiful, brilliant message because I do, I get stuck because a lot of these trans kids that reach out to me, they're 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, and they're in that, they're in that age group that's so hard as it is. And they have this layer where they just can't be themselves and it breaks my heart. And I don't know that I always have the right words because they're just trying to survive day to day. And I, I, I think a lot of times when they reach out to me, they hope that I can fix their parents and I would love to. And if I could ever be a resource, I always offer that like, Hey, if you think it's safe to bring my name up to your parents, I'm here. But um, so speaking on, on that point, what message would you send to their parents? If you had the chance to reach them, those unsupportive parents, what would you say to them? I would say when you got pregnant or when you filled out those adoption papers, how set were you on a specific gender for your child? I'm 100% sure that every parent before they have a child says, I don't care what it is. I'm going to love this kid no matter what. And that's exactly what you signed up for. And you need to hold to that because that is your kid and you need to be a good parent. Yep. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I have a public Facebook page and I, I talk about that a lot. And sometimes I'm more gentle than others because I try to meet people where they are with their journey as a parent, but I lose my patience a lot because I don't think that most parents realize how much trauma they're putting their kids through when they don't see and affirm their kids. And I hear it from these youth that don't have supportive folks in their lives and in their families. And it just, I mean, some of them don't have any support, maybe a friend or two at school. And because of quarantine, they haven't been able to see that, that one person that support in their lives. And it just breaks my heart. So 
that's so well said. And I've said that before, like, I know I said it when I found out I was pregnant and fun fact about my child at 13 weeks, I was told when I was 13 weeks pregnant, I was told I was having a boy. And then at 20 weeks, I was told I was having a girl. And so the first, <laughs> the first, uh, ultrasound technician happened to be right. And I wish I knew where that person was because I would tell them, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so thank you for that. I just think that that's an amazing message to both the youth and their, their parents is, you know, we, I just want to get these kids through to their 18th birthday, which I, I feel awful that they have to miss out on living their full lives until then. But I appreciate that message. What would you say to your younger self? I would say keep writing down dreams, keep making those dreams because you will actually survive to see them if if you really mm -hmm. work for it and stick around and get through the harder days. Because I never really saw myself making it to 18. And when I was younger, I didn't understand why. I didn't mm -hmm. get this overwhelming sadness in the same way that I did after puberty but I just never saw myself aging and becoming an adult. And the more I figured out about my identity, I realized this is wise because I wasn't living as myself. So how could I see a future as a person that I wasn't? And I hope that yeah. trans kids can see that and stick around and make it through the hard things because no matter what, it'll get better than those teenage years, no matter what. Yeah. That's powerful. That's powerful to hear, hear a recount because, I mean, look at all of you accomplished and look how far you've come. And that is true beauty. And I just, I'm so proud of you and all the things that you've achieved. And so let's talk about that. So activism work as 16, 17, you started this work? 15? Yeah, I was 16, 17 when I started the campaign. And it was very hard to mm -hmm. be as a trans child, because I know you see mm -hmm. all, all the time, they say, how can you know who you are as a minor? You're not even an adult. You can't know your identity. But the reality is kids start to develop a gender identity at three, four years old. And if we yeah. were more open to listening to kids, we would realize how well they really do know themselves at that age. And then to be 16 and to have people treat me like I was a three or four year old with no developed gender identity in very public ways and sometimes very violent ways was hard yeah. and still is hard. Even as an adult, I'm almost 22 and I feel the same way sometimes. But yeah, as soon as I really got into the activism and people started listening even if they were listening in negative ways, like this kid is crazy, doesn't know what he's talking about. I kind of even loved that because I was like, oh, you're still listening to me, but yeah. you're still reading my articles, but you're yeah. still watching my news clips, but you're still showing up to counter protest me. So clearly That's right. I'm doing something. Well, I mean, listen, here's what Nate did. And, and I have to tell everyone that's listening. So when my son came out, which was, um, Let's see. April of 2018, 
he came out publicly to school and obviously being in third grade at the time I had to help him. Um, it wasn't a conversation that he could have on his own at that point, of course. So I didn't know what to do. I felt like the only parent in the world that was going through this because I hear that a lot from parents of trans kids, especially in conservative areas like we are in Southwest Florida. And so I started Googling, thank goodness for the internet. I started looking for resources and I stumbled upon genderspectrum.org and I found a gender support plan to take with me to meet with Dylan's administrators at the time at uh, Venice Elementary School. And I was scared shitless. I mean, I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing, but this is what I'm going to do. I didn't even think to look for local LGBT activists or a local LGBT center. I, I had no idea what I was doing, but I just, I found other parents of trans kids on Facebook and I kind of asked their opinions, but most of them at the time, because again, even three years ago, two and a half, three years ago, I was in a Facebook group of parents of trans kids. I think there were maybe a thousand of us and now there's like 10,000 of us. And so, I mean, just the movement itself has grown. The amplified voices because of people like you, Nate, it's so important to keep reiterating that. So I show up to Dylan's school and the principal, her name is Erin Del Castillo, who she is now the principal of a local high school in Sarasota. Um, I met with her one-on-one -on -one and I just started crying and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but this is what I need. And I handed her that gender support plan. And I said, if we are not willing to do this, we're moving out of the district. And I, I'm, he's not going to use a bathroom that he's uncomfortable in. He's not going to be forced to use the nurse's bathroom. And I was just like, this is what we're doing. And she started crying with me and she's like, guess what? there's been work done already. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and you, Nate, were at the bottom of that work. And you were the one that started that wave of discussion. And so she had linked me to Also Youth, again, our local LGBT center, where I found Nathan Broomer. And he's the one who said, you need to Google Nate Quinn. And I was like, okay, so I did. And I found and I listened to you and I sobbed and I cried and I listened to all the different things you were doing as such a young person. And you were articulate and you were you were you had such a presence. And I saw the school board meeting and I want to talk about that. So here you are, you're at a local uh, high school at the time. There's no uh, guidelines in place for coming out as trans and, and the bathroom issue that everyone loves to talk about. And you're speaking at school board meetings and you show up, I believe I saw February of 2016, I think you show up to a school board meeting and there's what a hundred plus people in white shirts. Tell us about that. Yes. Yeah, so the first school board meeting that I spoke at was February, 2016. And I don't even remember how many times I spoke at these meetings, but the first couple really were the most terrifying, but great for media coverage meetings to ever mm -hmm. witness. We okay. had, yes, about a hundred counter protesters show up in white with Bibles, with pastors, with their children, and they signed up to speak too, and they would read Bible verses and talk directly about me and how I was evil and 
ruining the schools. And I hadn't even made any progress yet. I hadn't changed the schools other than Pineview, which had allowed me to use the men's bathroom after about two months of back and forth between administrators and my parents and all of that. Mm -hmm. But to listen to these people talk about me, to have the police concerned for my safety Mm -hmm. in this meeting as a 17 year old was really what, what pushed me into activism. So it pushed you into it. And I love that. Like it didn't scare you away from it. It pushed you into it. And I mean, you're, you're, you're a natural at it. And and that's really what I saw emerge from those videos that I was watching two years after you did them. And to see the work that you, you really just started this movement locally and for us, for my kid, for all trans kids, I mean, that must feel really solid to you and really good. And I I don't know if you realize how much you did, but I mean, you really laid the groundwork. And two years later, um, when I approached Dylan's school and I realized that the, the work that you started kind of fell a little bit silent at the time because you had grad. what year did you graduate Pineview? I graduated in 2016. So that was, uh, that was your senior year then that you were doing this even. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you graduate in 2016. And so, you know, then Nathan Broomer comes in local activist advocate, and he kind of picks up the work. There is a task force created in, in our district with uh, made up of administrators and guidance counselors and students to come up with the policies for trans youth. And even when I started speaking at school board meetings, which was September of 2018, um, those same people, although they didn't show up in white, they were still there. And, um, but the, the beauty of the work that you, the groundwork you laid is I saw, I, and I just saw this today. Um, I went back and I looked and I saw you and the superintendent at the time, Dr. Bowden had a conversation and the answer he gave you at the time. And I don't know if you remember the conversation that I'm talking about, but he, it was one-on-one between you and him. And the answer that he gave you at the time is he was so worried about lawsuits. Do you remember that conversation? Yes. And every time that I contacted him, all he had to say in response was, oh, we're afraid of lawsuits. We're afraid of lawsuits. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Every single uh-huh. time, for years and years. And even after I graduated, I would continue driving down for school board meetings to work with mm-hmm. Nathan, who really was doing the bulk of the work at that time with the task mm-hmm. force to say, yes, I've graduated. And yes, this isn't going to help me anymore because I'm not in Sarasota schools, but you will pass this because I will keep driving down from Gainesville. And I remember the very last time I spoke at the school board and here's why it was the last time. Um, I went way over my time and continued talking and continued talking. And I was so angry. I kept saying, you will pass this. I will speak without a microphone. I was escorted from the meeting by police. I don't think I'm allowed to speak at school board meetings anymore, but I was fed up. (gasps) That's amazing. Years. You will pass this. I don't need a microphone. I'm a loud man. And not in your schools anymore. What are you going to do to me? And I think a lot of the power from the movement was One, that I was a kid that had no fears. I was like, what are they going to do? Kill me? That'll just help my movement. 
Um, (laughs) The things I said were ridiculous as a 17 year old. I remember no big reason why I was afraid, but it was true. I was like, mom, if they killed me in a school board meeting, do you know how fast my policies would pass? So fast. <laughs> if they hurt me inside the meeting after, like the cops kept saying they were going to do, that would help me. And I think that's why we need more youth in activism, because they really have no fears. They can't be arrested. It's, yep. it's kind yep. of a win. No, that's, I mean, those are excellent points. Listen, and anyone that is, that has that thought pattern that you just described of, I am willing to die on this hill, like literally willing to die on this hill. I mean, that is dedication. I mean, that is true, the true definition of activism. And, you know, I cannot tell you enough and I I'm repetitive in saying this, but like, again, like the work that you did, the groundwork that you laid and those times that you kept coming back and speaking on behalf of trans kids that came after you, after you were done with our school district, that is the work that then I speak. So I, I enter the picture, I meet Nathan. I, I hadn't met you in person yet, but I meet Nathan. He tells me about you. I Google you. I take cues from things that you had said. You had literally like given me talking points. I start speaking September of 2018. I'm like, listen, my kid isn't a threat. Like you need to pass this. And I spoke at a school board meeting. It was just me, Nathan, and a couple of other activists. I think a couple of people from Equality Florida might've been there. I think Heather was there, but there was no opposition because it wasn't really planned to talk about it in September of 2018. But I just got up there. I told a positive experience that we had at Venice Elementary because of the conversation that you had already started. And I said, you need to pass this. So Um, now, and they had kind of blamed different things as to why they didn't pass things at that time. They said, well, Parkland, the Parkland shooting had happened and we were more concerned about safety. And, you know, I, I give that grace for sure. Okay. But we can, we can talk about a couple different issues at one time. I don't know why they had to be so myopic, but okay. Um, That was what I was told in September of 2018. October of 2018, Dr. Bowden, who had previously told you how worried they were about lawsuits, suddenly, without a vote, he passes those those guidelines that you had worked so hard and you fought so hard for. What was that news like when someone, I don't know how it was delivered to you, but when someone delivered that news to you, how did that feel that all the work that you had done, you saw it? come through to fruition? What did that feel like? I was shocked. And I remember this day, actually. I was on the UF campus. I was advertising for Pride Student Union. And I got a call from a 941 number that I didn't recognize. And I was like, oh, I better pick this up. It's Sarasota. Could be my parents or family or something. And it was one of the reporters from the Herald Tribune. And they said, oh, Mm -hmm. this is Nate. Um, Do you have some time to talk to us about your guidelines being passed. And I was like, my what? <laughs> passed. I was like, yep. are they talking about it at the next meeting? I'll drive down. They were like, no, they passed last night. Did no one tell you? Mm-hmm. I was like, no, <laughs> you told me this is great news. Yeah. yeah it was. I didn't even know what to say. They kept asking me for, for quotes for the paper. And I was like, give me 10 minutes. Like I yeah. put a thought together. This is, finally done and then i remember asking specific questions this this specific part was passed bathroom and locker rooms for everyone including trans women and anti-discrimination policy 
and they're going to work on staff training. And I repeated all three of those. I was like, are you sure they passed with a vote? And they were like, no, they didn't vote. I'm like, oh, okay, so they didn't pass. And they said, oh, no, Dr. Bowden put mm-hmm. them through. No vote. And I was like, the, the same Dr. Bowden? That <laughs> lawsuits, lawsuits. Oh, trans women are dangerous in bathrooms, all these things. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it passed. And it was probably one of the happiest days of my life to know that yeah. it wasn't all for nothing. These kids will be safer in these schools and that I actually did play a part in it and help it go through. Yeah. I mean, not only played a part, I mean, you literally started the whole movement. I mean, that is something to be proud of and to tote for the rest of your life. I think that is, and you know, I'm forever thankful as of as are other parents of trans kids, I can tell you that I name drop you all the time. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's important. And I, um, I, so yes, that was October, 2018. And then in November, the meeting, the school board meeting that took place immediately following that was quite contentious, four hours, five hours of speakers, most in opposition. I mean, there was a lot more, um, in support of, but, uh, then, than previous, than probably you experienced, but there was a lot of people speaking in, in support of, but it was, I can't imagine as I was, you know, a 41 year old woman at that point in my life, November of 2018. And I, I had to sleep for like three days after that school board meeting, because there was so much hate. There were so many people. Now the guidelines were passed and, and they did end up voting on them and it did still pass three to two. And, um, but people came and spoke against it. I mean, the whole media frenzy that some of the school board members, a couple of the school board members caused was just a nightmare. And I, because, um, I was the most public parent speaking, I was kind of on the receiving end of what you historically had received. And so I was called a child abuser by numerous people, other parents and grandparents of kids that my child goes to school with. And I had to sleep for three days because it was so emotionally taxing to sit there and receive all of that. I cannot imagine how that felt to you as a 17-year-old. I just, I cannot formulate that in my brain, how that must have felt, but I can't say thank you enough for all that work, Nate. Like that is just, it's a beautiful story. And other, other things were happening in the state at that time. Um, there were lawsuits going on, um, in in other counties. And I think Dr. Bowden was watching those carefully. Uh, and I think he wanted to be on the right side of history. Ultimately, I think he wanted to be on the right side of history, but I think you're without your voice, we wouldn't even be close to where we are in this conservative part of our, of our area. So that's just amazing. I can't thank you enough. It's amazing. Um, to any, on that point, my last question about this, if there's anyone listening, any trans teen listening, that's on that cusp of becoming that sort of activist for their own rights and for trans rights, what advice would you have to them? I would say, first of all, decide if you really want to be visible. And I don't know that I really understood what it would mean for me to be visible. I thought, oh, I can be out as a 16, 17 year old. And then when I'm an adult, I can be stealth and no one needs to know that I'm trans. And I don't think that would be possible for me anymore. 
I am glad that I decided to be visible, but I also want future activists to know exactly what they're getting into. And you know exactly what I mean by this, because essentially you're getting all of the hate that your son would be getting as a parent of someone so young. They are just going straight to you. And that's important to recognize. Visibility is a two-sided coin. But the positive side of it is so positive. If you are willing to put your message filters on and ignore everything that doesn't come from someone you know or that doesn't have a bunch of slurs and stuff in it, you can answer those. But the positive is so positive. I have never been happier than at the end of a good school board meeting or getting that call from the Herald Tribune that the policies had passed. And you can't play the same role as an activist if you're not going to be visible as you can being visible. People, they'll find those articles today and because of that know who I am and I live all the way across the state now. And that's good and bad. Yeah, yeah. And that and that's always something that I think about and I've been criticized for. And I think what I found about activism and you'll have to agree or, or disagree with me here, but I feel like you're in or out. Like you, there's no true middle ground for activism. It's you're in or out. Like you you can't really ride that middle ground because and people criticize me because Dylan is young and I understand it. I understand the criticism that I get in terms of putting him in, in harm's way and, and Google and, and the internet is forever type of thinking. And so it's a concern of mine all the time. It for sure has hurt my business in the past. Um, I'm in my day job is, is quite conservative, male dominated, cis male dominated, folks that just have bigoted opinions. And so, and, and I've accepted every, I got fired from one of my contracts that I had a contract that my, for my day job for 15 years and I got fired and I am hard pressed to say that it it wasn't because of activism work and they would never admit that. But so there are repercussions and, and I'm just a parent. And so I, I, but I can't be half in and half out. And like, I think that it becomes our life's work. And until for me as a parent, until Dylan tells me to stop and to stop talking and to stop putting our story out there, which obviously I think about all the time. And I've said no to a lot of opportunities. Did that come across for you? Like, did you have opportunities that you had to say no to? And did you have to put some boundaries up within activism work? I did try to have some boundaries about media coverage, which actually did not work out as well as I hoped. I specifically avoided talking to any Fox News stations. Knowing (laughs) the national branch is the way it is, I would not even talk to a local Fox News. However, what they started doing is they would call ABC or one of the other local stations in Sarasota and say, okay, you're going to talk about this with Nate. What time and where? And Mm, and all of the same stuff. And so it it can be hard to have boundaries like that. I probably could have Mm -hmm. told them, no, you can't stay. Um, But instead I, I would allow them to listen to the questions from the other media sources and record my answers and didn't really pay them any attention. But it's it's definitely important to have boundaries. And 
for you, I know that you talk about this a lot, that almost all the boundaries set are set by your son and not by you, even though it's you doing most of the speaking and public appearances. And I think that is amazing. I have not seen another set of mom and son trans activists, but the way you let him lead and have his own voice and dictate what is told to the media and what is not and what opportunities may not be taken, I just think is just shows your true dedication to the activism because you haven't made it about yourself ever. I have never seen a post where you've made it about yourself. I have never oh, seen you. parents where you've made it about yourself other than just to say, if you're a parent, you need to do it like this, or you need to understand yeah. your kid and love them. And the center yeah. that you're saying is always focus on trans people. And it's yeah. rare. You know, I rarely use the word ally. I don't like <laughs> to even call themselves allies. But yeah. if there is one ally, it's you. You're really doing the work. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. I Yeah, listen, I mean, this is my life's work because... first of all, for my kid, but like this whole community has embraced me as an ally and and my kid with the most loving arms. And I can't imagine doing it any other way because it's not about us as parents. And we don't give kids enough credit about knowing themselves and feeling their feelings. And like, it just bothers me that we don't give kids enough autonomy to say how they feel and without muting them. And I've learned that through this journey and my own biases and what I grew up with and, and what I grew up hearing as a generation Xer. Like I, I know I recognize it now and it, it's not easy work to self, you know, soul search like that and really do the work on yourself. But I, um, yeah, no, it's always for the greater good. This isn't about me. It's not about just Dylan. I mean, this is about the trans community. And so I do, I try. And we, listen, we had one reason why I got there with media work is because we had a terrible experience in 2015, 2016, before he came out as trans, when I viewed him as just gender nonconforming and a terrible piece of British media went out and I didn't know what I was doing. I just wanted to get a message of love and acceptance out there. And I had no idea what I was doing. And I shoved him in front of a camera because he said he wanted to do it at the age of seven. And I, um, I fucked up, you know, and I, and I, I wish that that didn't exist, but it does. And it taught us both a very hard lesson. And now he chooses what he wants to say and what he doesn't. It's the parenting journey is my story. The rest is for him to tell. And that's what I want to empower any parents that are new to possibly doing activism work. And, and just to your point, like, is, will Dylan ever be an activist like you? I doubt it, but it's also thanks to people like you because you laid the groundwork for him to have a very successful quote unquote normal life. And so I thank you, but we only have a few more minutes. So I want to get to one very important last point. And I want to talk a little bit about pride. Now, obviously it's pride month. That's one reason why I'm, I'm highlighting coming out stories and talking to you today. And this pride month looks incredibly strange and different. And obviously with the coronavirus and, and being in quarantine because of COVID, that was 
made it for an odd pride month. We were doing a lot of virtual, <laughs> virtual gatherings and trying to still celebrate. And so that is one piece of, of pride and pride month, but I can't be remiss and, and not mention the black lives matter movement right now and the intersectionality work that has to come with activism within the LGBT community. It's very important. LGBT youth of color are at a very high risk. And um, with George Floyd's death that propelled the Black Lives Movement matter into the, the forefront, and we're talking about it, this is, we're digesting so much Talk to me a little bit about Pride and what Pride Month 2020 looks like for you. Yes, it's definitely going to be a different month than what we're used to. I've seen a lot of people calling for no Pride Month out of a sort of misunderstanding of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, mm -hmm. What they're trying to say is we can't have Pride Month because we need to focus on Black people. And what I would say instead is we need to have a Pride Month where we focus on Black people because there mm -hmm, are mm -hmm. LGBTQ people. And the reason we have Pride Month is because of Black LGBTQ people, mainly Black trans women and yeah. drag queens. Stormé Delabry, who was a Black lesbian, who were involved in the Stonewall riots. And yeah. we don't have nearly enough time to go over everything from the Stonewall riots, but yep. essentially they were violent riots against police brutality, very, very similar to what's happening right now. Um, mm -hmm. And in order to truly celebrate Pride Month in the way that we should have been doing all along, we can start in 2020 and center <laughs> the 1969 Stonewall riots and Black LGBTQ people that are alive today in 2020 and actually truly celebrate Pride Month the way it should be done by centering yeah. these voices and the issues that still exist in, the, in these Black LGBTQ communities and centering Black Lives Matter and police violence, even if all of the victims aren't LGBTQ, these issues intersect. And once you realize how much these issues and other issues intersect, it makes it I don't want to say easier to digest, but then you know exactly what the target is. And you realize yeah. that the system is complicit in all of these marginalizations. Yes. And we can have a really, really good Pride Month, even if the focus is riots and protests. Yeah. Some yeah. consider to be negative, but they create the most positive change. It's important Absolutely. to go out and vote. It's important to do all of these things that we've been talking about for years and years. But voting doesn't do everything. The Civil Rights Act didn't come just from a vote. It came from riots. Yeah. Marriage yeah. equality, we look at that as kind of a vote. It was the Supreme Court. But all of the roots leading up to that kind of progress come from Stonewall. And riots were even before Stonewall that many people will yes. look over as violence is bad, but not necessarily. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's a beautiful answer. That's exactly 
that's exactly how I'm seeing this, this pride month play out. And I think that's an important message. And it, I, I, especially as, as a cisgender woman, white woman, it's, it's hard for me to articulate how I'm feeling because it, like, I feel torn. I feel my heart hurts that we're not, you know, shitting rainbows everywhere. And, you know, it, it, my heart hurts because we all love that pretty overlay of pride because it gives us just a sense of happiness and time to celebrate. But you just reminded us what pride is and where it came from, how it started. And on that same point, do you have any black LGBT visibility accounts on social media that you follow that you would recommend to our listeners? Um, one really good activist that I follow on Twitter is Dana White, and they're a non-binary Black person. And they really cover current events and LGBTQ issues and mm-hmm. political issues mm-hmm. that intersect with those. And I think they're one of the best accounts to follow. Um, I also am often criticized because a lot of the stuff I suggest is very hard, like documentaries and Mm -hmm. current events and all the hard shit that's going on in the world. And people are like, we can't look at this all the time, but I really do. So look at happy things, have a happy pride month, buy some overpriced rainbows from the (laughs) least bad corporation you can find but center black voices <laughs> as well. Yeah, no, agreed. And and um, I follow, I don't know if you follow her on Instagram and uh, Facebook, Ashley Marie Preston. She is one of my favorites. Um, she's a black trans woman and she is very intersectional in her work. She's one of my favorite accounts to follow. So I highly suggest following her to our listeners too. I mean, I have so many, but I just wanted to start with a couple that, because I here, listen, I, I found this out and I've, I've noticed it in my own algorithm that as white people, especially those white people like me who didn't grow up in a very diverse universe, most of our feed are white faces and voices. And right now you and I are, are white people talking about this. And, um, you know, I, we need to continue to learn and listen and, and listen to black voices and, it's such an important important part of this Pride Month in general, LGBT and non-LGBT folks and center them. So yeah, thank you for that breakdown too of Pride because it's important to talk about the Stonewall riots and how we got here and Martin Luther King. And you know, the, I, I see so many white people quoting Martin Luther King and they forget that he was killed too. He was murdered. So let's, you know, remember the riots that, that rose out of the civil rights movements and things like that. And let's celebrate all of that this month. And I feel like we're on the edge of something great. And I hope that I'm correct. Like I just, I I have to feel like we're getting somewhere with all this movement and, and mobility that we're seeing. And frankly, the protests and the rioting gives me some weird sense of peace. And I don't know if that will make sense to many people, but that is kind of how I'm feeling about this Pride Month. Absolutely. Even the progress we've seen in the past couple days just shows how much protests and riots really do work and create radical changes in the systems that are oppressing people. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, Nate, this has been amazing. And we've seamlessly talked for almost an hour and I so appreciate you giving this much time and energy and emotional labor to me. And, um, I just want to thank you one more time for all that you've done for, for me as a mom, for Dylan as my kid and for the entire trans community, not just locally, but, you know, just all the work that you do and continue to do. And I can't wait to see where you go next. And I really hope that I can interview you again in your next endeavor and we can talk more. This has been phenomenal. So thank you for being here. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And in two years, when I am a trans therapist, we're going to see a bunch more big changes from me in Sarasota. Oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait. And we'll, and we'll definitely talk before then and, and we'll catch up with you soon. So thanks for being here, Nate. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Not a Tomboy, a podcast by Vanessa Nichols. Please join us again next time.